Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they're never just about the way you look. I'm your host, Jesse Nealon, and today I have with me Dr. Asher Larmy, who uses they, them pronouns and is a transgender, non-binary general practitioner and fat liberationist who is campaigning for an end to medical weight stigma. They have over 20 years of medical experience and have been fat for even longer than that. And they are the founder of the hashtag no way campaign. And Dr. Asher is also the host of the fat doctor podcast and runs a number of training courses to help health professionals, employers, and organizations do less harm through weight discrimination. And I've just been a huge fan of their work for a really long time. So welcome <laughs> Asher. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this. I'm really all worked up. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. So uh, I'm just going to have you talk a little bit about your own story and, and how you came to do what you do now. Right. Every time I answer this question, it changes. I'm always, I'm always very curious to know where it will go. Um, <laughs> so you said, I mean, like I said, I've been, I've been fat for since I was not so much as a kid. I was like a chubby kid, but I wasn't a... I wasn't a child that would have necessarily been isolated and singled out and said, you know, you need to go on a diet. Although maybe I was, maybe I did have a, you know, maybe I was overweight or whatever. I didn't, mm. we didn't, we didn't measure it back then. I'm very old. I was a child in the 1980s. And so um, <laughs> I'm so sorry for anyone that's like, just, I was a child in the 1970s. How are you calling us all? Yeah, sorry. Um, no, but I mean, we didn't, we didn't measure, gosh, we didn't measure BMI and children until the, the, the 2000s. So I was a relatively chubby kid who became a fat adult. And uh, that's probably in part to do with the fact that I was on a diet since I was a kid. And I grew up with a mother who was very preoccupied with my weight because she was very preoccupied with her weight. And I think that that is such a common story. It's probably more common than it's not common, if that makes sense. Yeah. I went to medical school. I graduated in 2003. I, I believed everything I was told because my mother had told me that. And then medical school had confirmed it. And so as far as I was concerned, being fat was bad. It was unhealthy. Yeah. Uh, it was wrong. It was morally wrong. It was um, reprehensible even. And so, yeah. you know, I grew up kind of feeling massively ashamed but also being very much part of the system that stigmatizes and uh, yeah. uh people and and recommends weight loss so i've been prescribing weight loss for a really long time folks and uh i'm doing my penance now because <laughs> <laughs> i i hit so it was it was then um, 2020 it was the pandemic it's I, I i went i guess through a midlife crisis and uh spurred on by the pandemic and started blogging and i was doing a weight loss blog that is what i started doing and it became very apparent soon after I started my blog that A, I wasn't any good at weight loss. Uh, and B, <laughs> the weight loss was, am I allowed to swear? Because I have yes, to. Yes, please. Okay, swear away. So <laughs> weight loss was a load of bullshit. And it just, yeah. it's it's not a real thing. It doesn't, it's not something that I can sustain. And I, I just, I think I snapped. I think I was in that, you know, we were in a very precarious, vulnerable place in 2020. Yeah. I was working through the pandemic. I was working face to face with COVID patients and we were watching patients, you know, we were doing a lot of palliating of patients. So I was watching people die constantly mm. and it was really getting to me. And then there was that fear that I was going to die, that I was going to be mm. one of those fat doctors that died. Um, so I think that's when I started reading and becoming curious and I was very lucky. A whole group of really amazing people came alongside me and tried mm. to kind of, one of my closest friends and one of, I guess, not my oldest friends, but one of the first fat liberationists I met was, um, Jeanette. She's the mindset nutritionist. And, um, she, I mean, I, I often say to her, she's had the patience of a saints cause she would like come in <laughs> and sort of go, 
oh hey have you ever considered and I'd be like no you don't know what you're talking about and then she'd come back but have you ever looked at and I'd be like no you're talking rubbish and then eventually she got through to me I started learning about intuitive eating and anti-diet that's how I entered this and I think that's how a lot of people enter it you know that kind of mm-hmm. diets don't work uh let's try something new uh, and that that's great, but it soon became apparent that weight stigma, especially medical weight stigma, was hugely problematic and was fueling a lot of the kind of hatred that we have for ourselves and 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 the hatred that everybody has for their body. Let's face it. Yeah, absolutely. everybody is tempted to go on a diet, no matter what they look like. You know, I yeah. I just it's just it's an everybody thing. And I thought, hang on a second, I'm part of a medical profession that is causing harm here. I should probably do something about it. And my (laughs) feeling was, let me go find the doctors that are doing something about it. And I'll just join the cause. That was the Mm. plan. And then I looked for them. Then I looked some more. And then I looked some more. And I was like, huh, there don't seem to be that many doctors talking about this. In fact, the only doctor that I could find at the time was a straight sized kind of white male who um is great and I have uh, you is that know, Dr. Josh yeah Josh and I we're friends yeah, yeah and uh but uh you know perhaps didn't have the same experiences that I had and perhaps sure. was cu- coming at it from a slightly different angle and I was just like okay so it's just me and Josh yeah <laughs> what uh <laughs> what happens now and um of course in the UK there are some haze wonderful haze doctors in the US as well and there are brilliant people doing brilliant things and maybe not so publicly but yeah I have a big mouth and I am not easy to tame uh or to keep quiet so once once your eyes are opened you cannot close them again so I went from weight loss blogger in 2020 May to where I am right now and during that time it came to a place of body acceptance then to a place and place of body trust and body love but it's the trust actually that's been beautiful for me is actually realizing and appreciating what a wonderful body I have uh, and then ain't nothing wrong with it and then that actually pushed me into um, accepting, finally coming to terms with my gender identity, which I had been hiding for my whole entire life. So then that kind of happened. And um, and then I had the privilege, or I continue to have the privilege of being surrounded by an incredible group of Black, predominantly Black and trans activists, um, queer activists who are, you know, very much involved in fat liberation, but are, are coming at it from... Uh, uh, the kind of social justice perspective you know that they're coming at it from that intersectional social justice this isn't just about not you know no diets which is great but there's more to it than that so I've just had the pleasure of being able to connect with and learn from so many incredible people I'm so you know like it's just such a I'm gonna say blessing um just to be surrounded by that and so I've learned an awful lot in a really short period of time Um, and just proud to be part of that now that movement oh so cool I did not realize how recent it was actually that is uh that is a very condensed timeline for some of the work I took like a decade to go through good lord (laughs) must feel like you just had like the rug ripped out from under you did and you know it's because I came into it at the right time I don't Mm -hmm. think people I, I I keep saying to people something's happening something's changing I know that people have been working on this since the 1960s. I know yeah. people have been pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, yeah. but I'm, you know, maybe I'm just naive, but I'm starting to feel like there is enough information and there are enough people um, working towards liberation that I think when I came into it, I was like, I'm an open book. I'm an open sponge. Like 
and I could yeah. absorb so much of it. It didn't take that much time because there's so much out there that I could yeah. just like, you know, like a sponge, like suck it all up and then just go, right. Okay. I'm ready. So that's yeah. great. That's yeah. true. There is such a huge explosion of resources on this mm -hmm. stuff. I guess when I started, it was pretty much like the intuitive eating book, health at every size, the original. Right. Yeah. And I definitely, I was a personal trainer, so I came from the fitness industry. I definitely did a lot of the same thing where some of my followers would be like, um, Hey Jesse, have you read anything <laughs> about, um, how <laughs> diets actually don't work? And I'm like, no, no, no. All I know is that it comes down to hard work and willpower and, mm -hmm. uh, maybe good genetics. And that was it. And yeah, it definitely took me a while to get on board. And once I did, like you said, there is no going back. Right. But once like, you see it, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. But so many people have done so much hard work already. I feel yeah. like, I feel almost embarrassed to say that I take credit now for all the hard work that everyone else has done. <laughs> you know, I work really closely with people like Reagan Chastain and mm. Reagan just, I don't think, you know, people will often say, oh, you should like follow the fat doctor and follow Reagan. And I'm on like, no, no, no. See, Reagan's my teacher. <laughs> follow Reagan. Like basically just follow Reagan because everything yeah. she says is like what I learned. So, you know, and it's not just Reagan of yeah. so many people that I'm like, mm, I, I don't want to appear to be taking credit for their amazing work because they, um, they, they've already done all the hard work. Yeah. The difference I think with me is I know the ins and outs of the medical profession in a way that exactly. other people, just because they don't come from the same yeah, profession. Yeah, it's really unique. Right. And I think um, that puts me in a position where I perhaps, and I'm beginning to see it more as like a battle, as a war, as a sort of strategy for attack. You know, I, I don't want to feel people to think I'm attacking doctors, but I'm getting to the point where I'm not attacking individuals, but the organization, the yeah. medical organization, I think that actually we we need to attack it. We need to dismantle so many things and and, it, and we have to be strategic about it. And I think the difference is maybe because I've been in that profession for 20 years, I have some insight in how it works and what my colleagues are like and uh, how to, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I spend a lot of time training people on how to advocate for themselves and how to get their doctors on side, which is, yeah. you know, awful but yeah. necessary and yeah I, I think that's when I think I realized oh people don't know this because why would they unless they became mm -hmm. a doctor like why would you know that that's what we do so that's that's where I yeah. feel okay so I'm gonna have you dive in a little bit just um I want you to start because you work a lot with re-educating medical professionals about the impact and harm of weight stigma. I want to have you define weight stigma for the listeners and then talk a little bit about the ways that it actually shows up in the medical system. Right. So we all have our, <clears throat> our biases, our beliefs about a lot of stuff, right? And um, when it comes to fatness, there are general kind of attitudes, beliefs, judgments, stereotypes that we all have of fat people fat people are lazy fat people lack self-control fat people need to work harder they you know blah 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 and th that in itself is problematic but weight stigma shows up when those stereotypes and beliefs and judgments actually impacts our day-to-day -day life and I say our as in like society collectively so it's not just that people think that fat people are lazy it's that people think that fat people are lazy and therefore don't want to give them a job Right. or don't want to, uh, you know, invite them onto their team or be friends with them or go on a date with them or like whatever it is, it, it's actually physically impacting our lives. 
and and what it's doing is it's 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 excluding us from certain parts of society and those are often the parts of society where the most amount of wealth and sort of capital and influence and social standing and all the things that people need to thrive exist so we're being excluded so it can be a little thing like okay I want to go and buy a nice outfit so that I can go to a party or a wedding or to Mm -hmm. you know for work and so what do I do I go to a store and if you're a regular sized person you go into a store and you find the outfit that you like but if you're in a bigger body then you have to go and you know seek out the plus size section of the store and yeah. and then if you're in a bigger body the plus size section of the store isn't going to serve you you know sell you close you've got to go to a specialized store and if you're in an even bigger body you can't even get close from a specialized store you either have to buy them online or have them specially made so mm-hmm. we're excluding people from society and when you're yeah. already when you're shopping from the plus size section the clothes aren't as nice. They're not as fun, the, you know, and, and they don't make you feel as good about yourself. So already that's a small amount of exclusion. But the bigger you are, the more you're excluded. In the, in the healthcare setting, I, I it's, it's less subtle and more really, really obvious. Mm. So it's the moment you step into uh, the, the doctor's office, place of work. You know, it's the posters on the wall that tell you that you're fat and you're dying. It's the, you know, have you have you considered pursuing weight loss? It's the, you know, sign up here for this weight management class. It's it's the blood pressure cuff that doesn't fit. It's the gown that doesn't fit. It's the nurse that makes you stand on the scales before they even say hello. It's the doctor that like, you know, you walk in and has taken one look at you and it's clear they're judging you. They're not even trying to hide it. The doctor that doesn't listen to you, doesn't take you very seriously, brushes you off, doesn't examine you, doesn't investigate you, you know, doesn't refuse to treat you. And then it gets worse. You see, all of these things, they're little things, they build up, but then it gets worse because then it gets to the point where they're like, well, uh, you need to go and lose weight. That's going to fix your symptoms, which is a lie and is going to make things worse rather than better. Or they say, I'm not going to give you your treatment unless you lose weight, which is even worse because not only is it causing harm, but it's also taking away people's autonomy. It is it is removing your agency. It's 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 dangerously close to robbing somebody of their right to consent, and mm. that that's really tricky territory. Now we're talking about assault. We're talking about trauma, and mm. it gets worse because sometimes doctors joke at people. Sometimes they scoff at them. Yeah. Sometimes they say, "Oh, um, well, you, you're you're you've lost your appetite. Really, you've mm-hmm. lost." You've, scoff you could stand to lose a few pounds um you know i'll you know they'll they'll get even worse um they'll poke you literally Mm. poke your fat there was one woman who said she was having a um a a pap smear and the doctor was (laughs) literally legs akimbo doctor was right in there and then looked up poked her her i think it was her thighs or her abdomen and said you need to get rid of this this isn't attractive this is really unpleasant in the middle of a pap smear oh my god we all know what that feels like to be in that situation but see that's trauma you're walking away from there and you're traumatized you're not going back to see your doctor so oh god my skin just like yeah yeah bled my body right and i I remember when she told me this i i (laughs) i sort of said no no you know there was a moment where i was thinking no that couldn't have happened like that doesn't happen and then and then I was like, no, 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 it does. You see, it's worse than that because yeah. sometimes, and see, this is it's, it's escalating now. We yeah. went from a poster on the wall that was a bit offensive uh-huh. and a gown that didn't fit to a doctor ignoring our symptoms, to a doctor making fun of us, to a doctor 
abusing and traumatizing us there's worse I deal with people all the time whose diagnoses were missed yeah um Sarah Jane is perhaps uh some you know one of the most heartbreaking stories and I've spoke we I've talked about it on podcasts I've spoken about it online before Sarah Jane went to see her doctor in 2017 with a loss of appetite and abdominal pain and as a doctor I will tell you that is an instant red flag and you are expected to examine, investigate, do tests like that is that is your duty of care. There is nothing that no reasonable doctor wouldn't do that. She went for two years complaining of the same thing. And all she was told was good for you. Weight loss is what you need. Keep going. By the time she was literally on her knees, unable to eat anything, she was dehydrated. Um, she was in crippling pain. But they kept saying to her, well, you can't be losing weight. Look at you. You're getting bigger and bigger. Turns out that she was getting bigger and bigger because she had a 20 centimeter by 20 centimeter by 20 centimeter ovarian cancer sitting in her abdomen. And it took a further four months where she was humiliated over and over again. She had to go for an MRI scan, but the MRI scan doesn't fit fat people. So when fat people need an MRI, it's tough eight weeks she waited for them to humiliate her and say you're too fat for this machine eight weeks whilst a cancer was growing inside her body she was forced to do an exercise tolerance test which is like when you get on a bike and exercise yeah. bike for 30 minutes she could barely what? move at this point in time because of the cancer the tumor took up her entire abdomen they forced her to do that. i have never ever ever in the history of all time heard of a cancer patient being forced to do it yeah what would be the good lord and that was just to be told that she had a 20% chance of dying on the table. And, you know, if she had cancer, what difference does it make? Like, it's, <laughs> She's going anyway. She, yeah. she's, she's like, look, you've got to take it out. You can't leave it in there. Take it out. If it's a risk, it's a risk. <laughs> she was in hospital. She, she's one of the quickest recoveries I've ever heard of from the operation that she had. She was in ITU for less than six, for about six hours, less than 12, I oh, think. Crap. She was she was out of hospital within five days after having this incredible surgery. She recovered so well, but that's not the point, because by the time they took that tumor out, she was stage three and it was incurable. And she was given four years and that was 2019 and it's 2023. And that is where the worst case scenario when it comes to weight stigma and it's heartbreaking, but Sarah Jane's not the first person to have this story. In fact, we have a mutual friend called Deborah who died last year from the exact same thing. And I, you know, when I talk to people about this, that, you know, they, they don't, they find it hard to believe that this is happening. This is happening yeah. every single day. And missing a cancer is, is pretty, you know, is, is a pretty big deal, but it doesn't have to be cancer. It could be anything. It could be yeah. something as small as, you know, high blood pressure. If we're missing your blood pressure because we don't have the right cuff to use on you or, mm. or, or more importantly, what often happens is that people um, are afraid to go back to their doctor. So they sit at home, you know, they sit at home with a cough or with a funny looking freckle mole that's growing and they sit at home with COVID, which is what they did. And, you know, there's um, a study that came out now, finally, thankfully, that has made it very clear that being fat, being in a, having fat had absolutely no bearing on COVID deaths. But we know that being fat causes um, treatment delays in for two reasons one because people are afraid to go to the doctor and two mm. because doctors don't treat their fat patients they leave their fat patients 
and uh especially with things like shortness of breath shortness of breath is your classic mm, yeah. are they short of breath or are they just unfit because they're fat yeah so they leave it and so people die the ultimate the the worst case scenario when it comes to weight stigma is people are dying and it's happening yeah. all the time but there is no like you know, it, it's it's all bad. You don't have to have died for it to be bad. You you could still, you're being traumatized right from the beginning, right from that stupid poster. That yeah. is in of itself something that I'm fighting against and yeah. everything from that point onwards. Absolutely. Holy crap, what a journey that was. Uh, <laughs> like I have conversations like these all the time and I talk about weight stigma and the anti-fat bias and everything and here all the time. And I still just got so uncomfortable hearing those stories that I'm like, mm. so- one thing that I want to ask about this is how conscious is it, do you think, in the minds of the doctors perpetuating this kind of harm, how deep in the consciousness or subconsciousness are we looking at? So that's a really interesting question. I can give you some science. There was a study that was done on medical students, but I think that's good enough. Medical students yeah. are future doctors and it was done in 2015. Yeah. So they're definitely doctors now. They looked at anti-fat bias and they found that 75% uh, of uh, medical students had implicit, unconscious yeah. anti-fat bias, but two thirds of medical students had ex explicit, so conscious bias, bias that they're aware of mm. and do not care to address. Mm. So the question of whether or not it's right. how conscious it is in the minds of doctors, when it comes to bias, I think that's very clear. Two thirds of medical students stroke doctors have um explicit bias and this is yeah. reproduced in many studies different different yeah. numbers and different studies but we know that people have both explicit views in other words that people are lazy like they genuinely believe that fat yeah. people are lazy they genuinely i mean what what horrifies me is that most of my colleagues my medical colleagues with you know years of medical school and learning about science and evidence and reading medical journals and stuff still genuinely believe in the whole calories in calories out argument like they wow. genuinely think they have not heard of genetics epigenetics gut biome uh the insulin possible pathway. the research is out there i don't I, understand I, this is what i say to my i, I said I just, I, I list words, you know, genetics, epigenetics, um, gut biome, the insulin pathway, stress and allostatic load. Do you need me to keep going? Because I can, there's another yeah. 10, 15 things that I can say to you. And the studies are out there. How can you still think calories in, calories out is a thing? Um, you know, and I talk to them about the physiological process of starvation. And when I say starvation, they kind of go, we're not talking about starvation. Right. I was like, really? Because the Minnesota starvation experiment, the definition of starvation for them was 1600 calories. You're mm -hmm. recommending 800 calories to your patients. What do you want to call that when they're eating less than they consume? Yeah. What other word would you like to use? And they'll yeah. go, but they're fat. They can't starve. And I'm like, how can you be so ignorant? Yeah. Did you not go to, didn't you, did you not learn the same stuff I did at medical school? Because you know, there's no logic here. And this is cognitive dissonance. And I think this is something that we really need to understand when it's when you have been indoctrinated with this stuff from birth, essentially, because, you know, we learn, learn anti-fat bias from birth. But then you get a medical school and you get further indoctrinated. By the time you get to the state where we're in now, where anti-fat bias is rife, and it's not just that, but we've got weight loss drugs and weight loss companies are also influencing the narrative and there's so much stuff going on the cognitive dissonance is real and by that I mean 
you believe one thing to be true and then someone comes along and says this study completely disproves what you believe and doctors just refuse to accept it so they call me a quack a charlatan uh what is it that they use now there's a term like a grifter Uh, you know (laughs) there's a popular word a grifter (laughs) yeah are you grifting yeah Grifting liberation. I, I, I often say I, it's not paying me any money. So yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they say that I'm cherry picking the data, that, you know, they assassinate yeah, yeah, my yeah, character. Yeah. They might, instead of just going, wow, that's an actual study. That's a systematic review that looks at over, you know, 30 um, um, st- randomized studies and, and you know, it's got a meta-analysis. That's actually really good evidence. Maybe I should take a yeah. little look at that and see what it shows. But they just don't. It's- so cognitive yeah. dissonance, is that what yeah. you were talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So cognitive dissonance is when there's like sort of a, a disconnect between uh, something that you believe and some kind of uh, proof Yes. To the contrary, whatever evidence to the contrary. And a lot of times we end up just going with the thing we believe and ignoring the thing that contradicts it. Uh, You could also call this confirmation bias. It happens all the time. Is this, in your opinion, how the medical field continues to teach doctors? Like, Mm. is that how it's being reinforced? Because if they all learned all the same stuff, Mm. how are they how is this happening (laughs) and it's complex isn't it because I think there's something to be said about how doctors are taught anyway um there's something to be said about the kind of people who are attracted to medicine we're not all the same I mean I went into Mm. medicine because I grew up in a I I had a Jewish mom uh she told me that when I was three I told her I wanted to be a doctor and I don't know how but somehow that meant I was going to become a doctor and I never thought about becoming anything else and that's your typical oh my gosh I think that's your classic Jewish mom um, kind of tactic is like my daughter, the doctor. Um, so that was, <laughs> that's why I became, but I also really wanted to help people. I look back now and I realized that if I had actually done, I don't know what I would have done, but I probably would have been more comfortable being a nurse than a doctor. Mm. And the reason I say that is because nurses generally, uh, you know, go into their profession to help people mm-hmm. to a degree. Doctors do it as well, but I think there's also a lot of status associated with medicine. Yeah. And there's a lot of power in medicine. Mm-hmm. And if you're the kind of person that's attracted to power and status, I hate to say it, but you you head into the medical profession. Now, not oh. everybody, not everybody. And I will say that there are certain groups of people or groups of doctors that are far less likely to be that. Like, so for example, if you look at black doctors, very small proportion of doctors, mm-hmm. but many of them will approach the medical profession with a with a much more like a kind of like, I want to help yeah. the people who have been struggling for a real time. I want to be that doctor that can help uh-huh. my kids. That's very different to a lot of the doctors that you'll meet who perhaps have fathers or mothers that were doctors yeah. or, or, you know, perhaps are very privileged. So a lot of my colleagues, I hate to say it, come from very privileged backgrounds. They are not mm-hmm. interested in social justice. They will never learn about social justice. Social justice doesn't bother them. The only time they seem to be bothered about social justice is when they're talking about how much they get, money they get paid. Uh, that's in the UK. Um, and I'm not suggesting- are most doctors Republicans? This is blowing my mind right now. Probably, yeah. right? Oh, I mean, in the U.S., yeah. How many how many doctors do you know that? Are, uh, well, I don't know, know any doctors. <laughs> I think there are also the Democrats. You know, there are the Democrats who are kind of like who cherry cherry pick. Sure, that. yeah, yeah, the... <laughs> yeah. You know, like the liberals, and, the, middle yeah, of the road, somewhere in the middle. But yeah, a lot of my colleagues are. I'm sorry to say it, but are racist and have very, um, really 
very old-fashioned and quite offensive views on um gender and homosexuality and actually this um, is blowing my mind because did you not know that well I don't know any doctors I think I mean I guess you know I sort of whatever peripherally but I I don't it's not a population of people that I have a lot of Mm. connection with so uh, no, I don't think I ever really put together the way that I certainly think about all the time with like politicians who's drawn to politics, right. people with privilege who are able to like spend the money and the time getting elected. And then also people who want to reinforce those systems and are really craving power, who's drawn to being a police officer exactly. in my hometown. I know exactly who they were. And there were boys mm-hmm. who wanted power. Right. Like right. I've thought about this in so many areas, but never doctors and my mind is just being blown right now like of course there's a certain kind of person drawn to it of course and I think I I actually do uh I've done this I was a keynote speech that I did uh I think it was last year for the weight stigma conference and um one that I often give in some shape or form which is basically just explain how doctors have been on the wrong side of of, of history for as long as modern medicine has existed and I don't think I don't think people quite understand that the birth of modern medicine, of course, medicine has existed full time, but I'm talking about the the, the profession that we know now. Yeah. Uh, it began with eugenics. It began yeah. with race science. It began as a way to uh, literally oppress black people uh, and then fat people because uh, the medical profession has been used to to harm, cause harm to fat people and to separate fat people, disabled people. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, who do you think was doing all the horrific stuff in, in the not during the Nazi regime? Mm-hmm. The the really the stuff that you're just like, I knew Nazis were yeah. sick, but this is beyond sick. They were doctors. They were doctors yeah. who were literally performing the most atrocious human experiments. In Nazi Germany, they were doctors and doctors have been on the wrong side of history continuously. I can take you through one day, you know, people that are ever interested, I might do this lecture for everyone. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating. But doctors are not good people. Now, again, you know, when I say yeah. they're not good people, it's like saying I don't trust men. Of course, there are some men right. that I trust. We're not talking about individuals yeah. and I have. I know oh, some wow. really great doctors. But if I'm honest with you. I don't know that many. And if I had to talk about like percentages, I would say less than 10%. And oh 90% of them are pretty horrendous. And, you know, some of them, they're the worst kinds. I, I remember there's a speech, there's the letter that Martin Luther King wrote from, I think it was Birmingham when he was in prison. And he talks about the white moderate yeah. um, and how like moderate sometimes <laughs> You know, I love, I mean, I, I can't recount the, the letter, the speech enough, but this idea that, that moderates are, are perhaps sometimes the worst enemy of any justice or social yep. justice movement because they appear to be on your side. They appear to be, like you said, liberal, but they're mm-hmm. not. Deep down mm-hmm. inside, they're very much enjoying the power that they have. Yeah. And so when I talk about this, I say, yeah, there's indoctrination and there's, you know, there's bias and we're all, we all grow up with that, but also... When you're in a position of privilege, what do you do? You hold on to that privilege for as much as you can. And so doctors are very privileged. Whoever they are, they are they are almost certainly going to be white or, uh, uh, you know, perhaps Asian, but less likely to be like uh, Latino or or black. They're more likely to come from wealthy backgrounds. They're more likely to have had a a good education, maybe have parents that Mm -hmm. have at least a degree, perhaps beyond a degree. Um, that you know they're likely so they've they've come from privileged backgrounds and I don't know many friends that like didn't even have like a private school education oh and by the way 
that's me I'm talking about. I'm white. I went to private school. I have so much fucking privilege. I am one of those people. But I guess, uh, you know, there are a few people that just kind of go, huh, I'm going to use my privilege for good. And I think most people go, hmm, I quite like having my privilege and I'll hold on to it. So, yeah. yeah, when you think of politicians and police officers, you need to put doctors in there. And specifically doctors, I don't think it. Uh, I, I don't think any other healthcare profession is as bad. Like I don't put mm. like nurses and right. Right. Yeah. You know, Cause I know a ton of nurses and I don't right. see this no. at all. Yeah. That's so freaking interesting. Mm. Holy crap. Okay. So the way that I've always thought about it, because the research that I've been exposed to just sort of drew my attention was more to the researchers mm. behind the biased mm. studies Mm-hmm. And also the corporations behind the mm-hmm. biased researchers, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I've never just straight up thought about the doctors before. And this is like having such a weird impact on my brain. So I had a, I had like a, a run-in when I first joined social media. Cause that's the other thing you have to know about me. I started blogging in um, 2020, but I also joined social media in 2020. I had avoided, <laughs> like I had like a Facebook Welcome. account. <laughs> One Facebook account that I never posted on and um, that was it. So social media was all very new to me. And I think, you know, I was learning as you have to, there's, there's politics and social media isn't there. And I kind of had a run in with this doctor um, and I'm going to name and shame him because he deserves to be, he's in the news now. So it's fine. Uh, his date is Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. Ah, uh, yes. You know, you, you know, Spencer Nadolsky. I did back in my fitness days. That's so weird. Like he was like in my training inner circle of yeah, wow. he was like one step removed from me, but he was like the mentor to my mentors. You know what I mean? Well, Dr. Stephen Spencer Nadolsky and I had a run in a while back. Uh, I also had a run in with, um, I only know the bad thing, the bad name I call him. Oh gosh, some, <laughs> some, something Lane. What's um? It's Bio Lane is the, the yeah dude. yeah okay. He's right, so. my, that's this is so weird for the oh, fitness just, I industry. I hope I don't upset you now because I'm, I'm I I won't be upset. I I'm I left the industry anyway, but you know that's just weird. This was woo, close. So Spencer and I had an argument right at the beginning because uh, you know on on the surface it, he seemed not to be as judgy as some people were, and you know he promoted weight loss and and fitness in a way that yep. was kind of. Hmm. you know if you weren't if you weren't looking close enough you'd actually think maybe he was on side and he was a nice guy and he was great but I I just was just like this is bullshit I, I I'm sorry I think you're lying to people and you need to stop so we got into it and at the time I was a nobody nobody knew who I was and I had like I don't know like a few hundred followers on on, <laughs> on um, Instagram and I I, 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 did, I don't think I knew what I was getting myself into yeah. but ever, over the over my career and I've had now three different Instagram accounts because they've been taken down by Insta and I've had to start mm. again so I'm on number three so obviously he'd block me and then like I get a new account and then I'd see him oh again God. and then he'd block me so most recently um we were talking about the American Pediatrics uh guidelines right the ones that came out that were recommending weight loss drugs to children and I was you know I mean this was I was desperately worried about this and I've spoken about this on multiple occasions, but I saw a video of Dr. Nadolsky saying, everybody needs to calm down. These drugs are fine for children. So I did a, like a, I did a, a stitch of his video and was just like, just FYI people, this is how much money is Spencer Nadolsky has taken from Novo Nordisk. Uh, and 
uh, I got blocked again. Is that the company that makes that the makes drugs? The drugs, yeah. And how did you know how much money he made? It's it's online. It's right oh, there okay. for everyone to see. And he said, "Oh, come on now, it's just a few lunches." And my point has always been: look, a lot of de- doctors are taking lunch, lunch, uh-huh. going to conferences, yeah, yeah, being wined and dined, and it doesn't look like a lot of money. It's not like millions of dollars. It's couple of grand it's nothing in the background scheme of things but they are indoctrinated by these drug companies and often are in cahoots with these drug companies and I said I made it very clear do not trust any doctor that takes money from any drug company I don't care if it's free lunch I have never taken a penny I may if I'm honest with you have eaten a sandwich once or twice (laughs) and maybe taken a pen because I always run out of pens when I was on the ward and like you'd get to your grand rounds and you just be like, I'm going to take that sandwich and that pen. But that's the most I've ever taken for a drug company. Mm. I Anybody who is willing to take money for a drug from a drug company is willing to accept that drug companies are influencing the medical profession and are um, and, and they are willing to be part of that very corrupt system. But here's the kicker. A few weeks later, I read an article that says um, uh, Weight Watchers has taken this company, and I've forgotten the name of the company now, but they've taken over a company that is basically prescribing these weight loss drugs, uh, telephone consultations. So they've taken over the company. So I actually look into the company. Guess whose name I find? Spencer. $130 million. (gasps) Yeah. Is what? How much the company's worth? That's how much Weight Watchers bought it for. And it's his company. So my God. So he has a huge following on. So he's a massive influencer on social media. He's also a doctor that has set up when these drugs were first released and he was talking about it. And I was like, don't trust this guy. He is financially motivated to sell you these drugs. And he kept like sending his his, his fans at me and calling me all sorts of names and, you know, basically slagging me off. I kept saying, don't trust this doctor. And everyone kept going, I don't know what's wrong with you. You just want, you know, you're just craving fame. You just want yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, when will someone prove me right? And then he proved him, he proved me right by selling his company for 130 yeah. million, but nobody cares. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that this guy, people were praising him. And like, they were doctors on yeah. Twitter who were like, well done, dude, you've done really well. I'm so proud of you. And I and I, <laughs> I was thinking, but what about all the people he's harming? Because these weight loss drugs are so dangerous. They're so yeah. dangerous and it's money. So that's the other Absolutely. thing that we have to remember is that A, doctors are indoctrinated and they are biased. And a lot of it is unconscious bias, but some of it is also conscious bias that they refuse to do anything about. B, the kind of people that go into medicine are not necessarily the kind of people that you want to be looking after your health. And C, there's a lot of money to be made in not being ethical, in being unethical. To to be a doctor like me, you know, I'd be lucky to make $50,000 a year. If I'm really lucky, I can make that Mm. much money. But if I'm Spencer, I can make $130 million by selling a company. And you know how easy that would have been for me just to prescribe these drugs? Like that's that's so much easier, but you have to have a bit of ethics. And I'm not trying to say I'm perfect, so I'm not perfect, but you have to have ethics. You did eat that sandwich. I did. And I still I took that pen. It wasn't, it wasn't just one pen. It would have been more than one pen. I'm not going to lie. It's probably okay, 10 so pens. The other guy's name is Lane Norton. Yes. And I knew both of these guys. Uh, so this is uh, very interesting to me on a personal 
level, not surprising in the slightest, but mm. just, uh, yeah, the idea that, first of all, it must've been kind of satisfying to be proved right. Like obviously not good because F that guy and all of this harm, but like also a little bit satisfying after getting all the trolls thrown at you. It would have been, yeah, it would have been, it would have been more satisfying if his name had been in the press. It was basically right, the name yeah, of the company. Yeah, if he got dragged like, for I, it. I wanted him to be dragged. He didn't get dragged. But no, uh. it, was, it was good to know. It, you know what it was? It wasn't satisfactory. It was knowing that my instincts were right. And for a yes, really long time, I, I have not been able to trust my instincts because whenever I trust my instincts and I say something, I tend to get slapped down. Mm-hmm. And I'm beginning to realize, now nah, actually, my instincts are right. If I see yep. a doctor and they're acting a little bit fishy, there's something going on. I know yeah. where there's smoke, there's fire, and I need to have the courage of my convictions. But anyway, what were you saying? I interrupted. Oh, you. I just really like that. I think I think the idea that like you could be treated like a nuisance until your sort of intuition is proven right multiple times, and now you're not a nuisance anymore. Now you're mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, what's the the word where you blow the cover on everything? <laughs> uh, dog whistler or whatever. Yeah, whistleblower. Yeah, whistleblower. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay, so yeah, I was just thinking it's really interesting uh, on a personal note to me, but that also, I, I mean, I don't know any other real way to put this. I did always feel that they were a part of a a problematic um, group of people and mindsets in the fitness industry that they were like sort of in cahoots with. Uh, all around patriarchy though. That's really where I thought about it. That was just what I witnessed at the time. I never thought about weight or medical ethics. I just thought these are kind of like skeezy dudes who act like skeezy dudes and exploit people in positions of, uh, you know, sort of inferiority in their systems. And that all feels super shitty to me, but I never thought about this aspect of like, well, what else is that kind of guy likely to do? Probably make millions of dollars off of writing bullshit, harmful drugs. Like, of course. And this is what I mean. You know, you know, we've learned, haven't we, that sometimes the most attractive and the most kind of effervescent and sort of seemingly kind of appealing people tend to be the most dangerous. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I've learned, I've learned over time that, um, you know, I, I generally, I'm generally friends now with people who are autistic and, um, and kind of maybe not as socially gregarious, but they're fucking trustworthy, you know, yeah, like I, yeah, I don't sit there totally. worrying that this person is lying to my face. I feel much more comfortable. Yeah. Um, most of my friends are neurodivergent. Most of my friends are like the, the ones on the outside, the, the ones that are excluded, the ones that have never fit into society, because I, I, I have not only just an affinity, but I trust them. Yeah. And you're right. The people like the, the first thing I noticed with people like um, Lane and 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 Dr. Joski was looking at their just looking at their pages and just yeah. thinking this guy's a bit of a creep. I, I don't yeah. like that. I I don't know totally. Yeah, just I'm sorry, but there's a bit of a creep. I I don't. Do you I don't know, like- I'm realizing like in this moment somehow for the first time that how freaking unlikely it is for someone to be a bit of a creep or a bit of a pervert or a bit of a sexist and not also be a all the other things like it's yes. just blowing my mind right now that I would ever ever think to myself oh I bet he's only just a bit sexist yeah you right. know like exactly. why why don't we immediately be like oh you're a bit sexist and like sort of inappropriate with younger women maybe let's assume a bunch of other stuff about you now right exactly oh god and and I think you can take that you know that's a bit of wisdom that you can take with you when you when you meet doctors um 
I want you to look at them and know that they are oftentimes very flawed human beings, the kind of people you would not want to be friends with. Yeah. Not everybody, because some people like those kind of human beings, but you know, often those of us who have been True. rejected by those human beings and who have been mistreated by the kind of people that hold all the power and hold all the, you know, the, the wealth and the, and the popularity and are just like super popular, the super popular people, you, you you wouldn't want to be friends. I wouldn't want to be friends with them. And they're often the ones sitting in front of you in that lab coat. There's, it doesn't, yeah. it takes more than. That's so interesting. It takes much more than intelligence to get into medical school. Mm-hmm. Much more than intelligence. Because let me tell you, I'm not that intelligent. Uh, I didn't do that well on my exams. I wasn't. It takes somebody who is willing to walk into that interview and ace that medical school interview. It takes somebody who is willing to basically say, I am the shit. <laughs> I can do this. And for me, a lot of it was uh, having to prove myself. So I think that there are doctors that kind of like have been told you can't do this and they go into it. And that's what I mean. You look at like, for example, I'll come back to black doctors. Most of them are told not a chance. I don't know even why you're dreaming about being a doctor because what are the chances that you'll become one? So there is that like, absolute determination to prove everybody wrong and that's what gets you in there like just refusing to give up and so that's what I mean there are some great doctors who have that kind of sort of resilience but guess what most of them burn out they don't last they cannot withstand the medical profession the ones that are successful and the ones who do well are the ones that have a level of a arrogance or b narcissism or c privilege they will walk into the room and just turn around and be like I am the shit and therefore you will let me in that's how you get into medical school that's how you do well in medicine as well you have to be the cocky one the one that walks around uh, you know on medical student yeah. rounds and speaks up and 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 you know gets into the feeling and the way we're taught medicine is disgusting I can remember like walking doing rounds and you know you go from patient to patient body to body and doctors just like the, especially like the senior doctors you know they'd, they'd be talking over these patients and and asking so many inappropriate questions and so many things and like it you're taught to almost to almost in order to succeed, to emulate that kind of, yeah, a human, yeah, sure. like a pretty atrocious human being. Yeah. And I, it's, it's just, it's really bad. It's just, people oh are God. not nice. My, my colleagues are not cool. I, and that's why I don't want to work in medicine anymore. It's, it's actually not, I love the job so much. I can even handle the bureaucracy, which a lot of people uh-huh. can't handle, you know, the yeah. tape, the paperwork, even that I can manage. But it's the colleagues that I just cannot face working with. And I have just never, I have, a, I've collected a handful and by a handful, I mean like three doctors in my entire career that I have kept in touch with three doctors. I have worked in many hospitals and many practices. And there are three nurses got a ton of them. In my <laughs> uh, any other like, you know, allied profession. Yeah. I got plenty of friends, but doctors, nah, thanks very much. But I'd rather oh not. Gosh. So I think yeah, it says it all. It's, it's funny because you're in this really unique position where you can like, you know, uh, take the thing down from the inside. So I'm rooting for you to stay in the profession, but also can clearly see that might not be in your actual self-interest. Um, <laughs> so I guess I, I don't even know how to ask this question. Uh, why do we trust doctors so much? I don't know. That's a good question. You need to stop. All of us need to stop. Um, 
and and I and I understand how destabilizing that comment is and how political that comment is and yeah, how right it's it it's, really is it is it is the equivalent of defund the police it is the equivalent yes. of don't trust your politicians right because okay but those people- two things just make sense to me and this one feels new I've never heard anybody yeah. be like defund the doctors you I mean, that, yeah you do but you we need to start doing that and I think wow. that's really important as I one of my sort of passions is about making people understand that actually doctors are not trustworthy and they have proven this over and over and over and over again. And, you know, what's really interesting is that whether or not I wish to pursue the medical profession or not is it's, it's, it's unlikely I'm going to be able to, because they will find a way to take my medical license away from me. But the only way that they can, there is no, I have no sort of black mark against my name in terms of my my ability to, 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 you know, safe practice. Like I've yeah. never done anything dangerous or wrong or criminal. So they say that I'm bringing the profession into disrepute. Yeah, that's what I'm being. It's a moral of. issue. It's a moral issue. You are bringing the oh, profession. Asha, that sucks. But but no. But you see, I, I think actually they're proving my point because they want to cult. You know, this is what police officers do. This is what politicians do. They they want to yeah. like secure ranks, right? They they yeah. only investigate themselves. We, who's investigating us? Who is who is holding us to account? Who is saying you can't do that? Nobody. We can do whatever we want, and you will never be able to stop us. At this point in time, we are we're untouchable. We're unstoppable. We are we 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 can get away with literally, and I say this genuinely, murder. Sarah Jane was killed because yeah. her doctor hated fat people or didn't care about fat people he had the responsibility of doing no harm of working in her best interest of respecting her autonomy of of practicing fairly and equally but more importantly his job was to protect her life his job was to pick up that cancer that was his job and he failed her and he got away with it and she hasn't even had so much as an apology from her doctor not even an apology letter not even yeah. a phone call so what i'm saying here is that you know police officers they um you know they shoot like white police officers shoot black men unarmed black men and we know that's wrong and we say yeah. that's not okay defund the police uh yeah. politicians they lie yeah. they commit all sorts of heinous acts and we go that's not okay yeah. we need to we need to you know hold these politicians to account why are we not saying this about doctors? They are getting know. away with shit. Yeah, see, because you, I tell you why, you need to trust your doctors because at the end of the day, we're the ones that are looking after your health. So yeah, I, I think that's kind of it. It's yeah. like, well, I just give you total authority over me, I guess, because uh, I don't want to yeah. die. Right. So here's the thing. And this is the, you know, this is what I want to sort of it's very important to get the second part of the message across you should not trust your doctors but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go and see your doctors or shouldn't consult with doctors because you need to consult if you're sick you need to consult with doctors what i think we need to know is our Mm. rights um because i think that uh you know and and (laughs) it's complex you know i i one of my best friends is lives in texas uh, she's a fat black woman living in Texas. Um, and, I, and and my advice to her is going to be very different to a uh, uh, white woman who lives in a, 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 you know, a blue state and yeah. has relatively good health insurance. My advice will always be different for these two people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would tell people, uh, you know, you shouldn't necessarily trust your doctors just because they're doctors. You need to know what your rights are and you need to know that your doctors 
are doing are, are competent and capable of um, giving you the healthcare that you deserve and that they are meeting their basic duty of care to you. So if you don't know what their duty of care to you is, then how do you know if they're meeting it? If you don't know right. what, what a competent doctor looks like, how do you know if they're competent? So I think it's more about educating people as to what they should expect and demand of their doctors. And I, Ooh. I love watching um, my kind of like my clients that I work with. I love when they suddenly, when it suddenly clicks and they're like, Oh no, hang on. I got to take the power back. There's a huge power dynamic yes. going on here. And I have the tools to take the bow back. I just didn't know I had them. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I spend a lot of my time teaching people how to basically get what they want out of doctors, how to not threaten doctors, but how to redress yeah. that power yeah, imbalance. Yeah. So, yeah, why do you trust your doctors? Because you've been told to. And because if you can't trust them, then what the hell are you going to do when you get sick? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel... Thinking about it now, like the way that I have been taught to think about doctors anyway, I think a lot of us is almost like the way kindergartners are thought to, to, to think about the teacher, right? It's like, it's an untouchable authority. It doesn't really matter why they just are. And, uh, if you like step out of line, you'll get in trouble. And so I feel like something I've done with a lot of clients is help them uh, advocate to not be weighed. This is just a very simple thing. I know this is something you're also passionate about, but um, the shock and resistance that comes up when I say you can tell them that you don't want to be, they say, oh no, I can't. It's automatic. And I'm like, right. But like, you can tell them that you don't want to be, or you refuse to be, and they can't they're not going to pick you up and put you on the scale. Like you can't get in the kind of trouble you think you can here. They mm. will not hopefully scream at you. They will not like they, whatever you might get, you might get into some conflict, but there is just something about the feeling that we have of like, I'll be punished. I have to do whatever they say, or I'll be yeah. punished. Yeah. That's so true. And I, Hey, I feel that by the way, I, I, I'm a doctor who is advocating, uh, to, like you said, to never be weighed. And yeah. every time I go to see, uh, you know, I, my diabetic clinic or whatever, the first thing they say is we'd like to weigh you. And, oh, man, it's so hard to say no. I've just about got to the place where I can do it. But what do you say? What? What? How do you I phrase just go, it personally? I, I literally just go, no, I don't I don't allow people to weigh me. Nice. I, 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 and I think if that doesn't work, then sometimes I say I don't consent to being weighed because consent is a big word in medicine. I so like that. Use the C word. Use consent. Uh, <laughs> I refuse my consent. or I don't consent to being weighed. Please don't put give my consent to be weighed. Yeah. Because because you see That's the a thing little is tricky because it makes them uncomfortable, which I like. Because you know what happens if they refuse to respect your consent? Do you know what the legal they term get is? In trouble. Yeah, but do you know what the legal term is? Uh, assault assault yeah so if they do not respect and so and you know and we know about consent right we've learned about consent in terms of like you know when I talk to people about consent I often say you know consent you've learned about this now we weren't very clued up on it a while ago but most people have heard about consent when it comes to sex Mm -hmm. and you know so it's the same rules apply. You can't pressure someone. You can't keep harassing them. You yeah. can't ask them when they're incapacitated. You yeah. can't, like, the same rules of consent apply here. Um, you can't just do something against someone's will. And and this is not just the legal, but it's also, like, it's the, it's the foundation yeah. of our profession. So just say no to being weighed. 
but I think it goes beyond that. And I, I'm running a course and I will continue to run this course. I'm super excited about this course because I'm looking at things like, what do you do when you get brushed off? What do you do when your doctor ignores your symptoms? What do you do when it gets blamed on yeah. your weight? What if they prescribe like weight loss? But actually having a script, and it's, it's, it's something yeah. I'm in the habit of giving people now, actual language to say, say to, to to get what they want without being confrontational without having yeah, to explain themselves brilliant I teach people consultation skills I spent years learning consultation skills as a doctor and now I spend my time teaching oh people consultation God. schools skills as a patient which by the way I would be so happy if someone would put me out of business because I don't want to teach that it should be <laughs> something that I should be teaching like I'm not <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, it feels like there should be like a like a coach in this space or something. You're like, I'm a whole ass doctor. I have some stuff to do. No, 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 no. (laughs) I don't. I don't mean it like that. I mean, nobody should have to be coached to go and see a fucking doctor. Okay. Outrageous, like who? Who? You're you're talking about advocating yourself with someone who is supposed to be advocating for you it's Ah, you know what I mean like what yes okay it's it's like it's the equivalent of saying like how do I advocate for myself when I go and see a lawyer if you're hiring that lawyer to be your advocate why do you need to learn to advocate for yourself with the lawyer that's understood job so I'm I am doing this job while simultaneously trying to put myself out of this job because I want to help people. I mean, same. <laughs> yeah, right, right. We want to help people. Yeah. We want, we want to, we need, want to do what is necessary in this exact yeah. moment. But at the same time, it would be so great if we could, we could yeah. make a world where this doesn't need to be done anymore. It, where your, your rights are respected, where people yeah. don't weigh you, because really, there, there is no need to make weigh anyone in medicine. It's completely unnecessary. There's only a few instances where it is necessary, and that can be done in a very discreet kind of like just get on the scale I measure like yeah. I measure blood pressure we don't have to talk about it just look. yeah okay. yeah 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 um and so uh I, I think that that would be an ideal world and until then I will teach people how to basically consult with doctors in a way that they get what they want and they have they experience the least amount of harm but it's yeah. literally this course like imagine I am now running a course where week one I'm like what do we do in this situation yeah <laughs> what do we do with this situation? And it's a situation that most people find themselves in. But imagine the fact that I need to do a six week, to get my head around the fact that I need to do a six week course on this just blows my mind how bad the medical profession is, how much we failed so many people. So yeah, I don't think you should- I'm just thinking how many people need to take this course. That's the real (laughs) marker of how badly we failed people is like how badly this is a needed skill. And I was actually going to ask you to clarify a little bit. So you're saying there's no medical reason to be weighed. I guarantee you there are listeners right now who are like, well, that can't be true. Could you speak to why that is a little bit or push back against anyone who's sitting there being like, no, they have to, it's like important. So the only times when you actually need to be weighed is a, if you're losing weight, because weight loss is never good. So we want to monitor that. If someone says I'm losing weight, um, I'm going to want to, I'm going to want to keep an eye on that. The second time is if you have kidney, kidney, end-stage kidney disease or end-stage heart failure, because at this point in time, we're trying to balance fluid. So it's not about weight, it's about mm. fluid. And that that requires a lot of weighing. Yeah. Uh, there are certain medications where we need to weigh you. The only ones really, I mean, obviously anesthesia is a classic one, but mm-hmm. uh, what there are very few drugs that we have to do this. Children, sometimes we do need to weigh for antibiotics doses, but not often, but children, maybe more so adults. 
The only common one is um, if you're taking an oral blood thinner, uh, um, uh, like a tablet, not warfarin, but any of the newer ones, because we have to calculate something called the creatinine clearance, which is your kidney function. And we can't do that without a weight. So there are like a few instances when we absolutely need to weigh you. And uh, those are very few and far between because how many of us, and this is once a year, by the way, if you're, if you're on a, a, a weight, the uh, uh, blood thinner not every, yeah, every time yeah. um all of the rest of the weighing even with medications is about monitoring weights and everything else every time someone weighs you it's there's two reasons one is because we're monitoring your weight and the second is for insurance and um mm. both of those are absolutely utterly unnecessary and unethical um because there is never a reason to try to lose weight i i cannot stress this enough but intentional weight loss is harmful and should never ever ever in the history of ever be recommended that is not to say that we cannot in, uh, encourage people to adopt different sort of to make lifestyle changes right 100%. uh-huh we can, we can do that and actually when we're when we're talking about lifestyle changes it's really important that the lifestyle changes people are making are causing more harm than good and i i need to clarify mm. that by saying Say I tell you I want you to exercise because exercise is good for you. And there are so many reasons to exercise. Exercise is good for, you know, flexibility. It's good for posture. It's good for, you know, preventing back pain. It's good for um, when you've had a shoulder injury. It's good. It's good for your mood. I can list all the different reasons why one should exercise. Right. But that's because it benefits you. Now, it shouldn't be harming you. And for some people, it is really harmful. If you have chronic pain, sometimes exercise is worse than it is better. If you are um, if you have very if you're disabled and you, for example, have chronic fatigue or me or whatever actually sometimes long covid long covid classic example exercise might actually be causing you more harm than good and most importantly if exercise is becoming a form of disordered eating stroke exercise and you know is part of it's feeding into a uh a a mental health issue if it's causing you to feel depressed if it's causing you to have low self-esteem if you if it becomes like a a punishment more than a joy, then exercise is not in your best interest. And so there are plenty of other lifestyle, um, sort of intentional lifestyle kind of changes that you can make that have nothing to do with exercise. So when we're making lifestyle recommendations, we have to be very intelligent about it. But that still has nothing to do with weight. Because notice that I gave you a whole list of reasons to exercise, but weight loss is not one of them. In fact, it's the only reason you shouldn't exercise. Do not exercise (laughs) for weight loss. Ever, it's the most dangerous, the stupidest. Listen thing you to them; they're a doctor, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's official. It's official, and and weight loss is dangerous. Uh, it is harmful. It is going, and and there is never. I just there is never a reason why we should be prescribing weight loss ever 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 i've just not found one and i've challenged many people to you know to give me a good reason mm-hmm. yet to find one i found plenty of reasons why you shouldn't do it so lifestyle changes sure but that's not the same as weight loss and so if we're not going to tell people to lose weight why on earth do we need to weigh them like what's the purpose right the i don't only- know <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't know either just but to make people feel bad i think it's correct, but also for insurance. And I've heard this actually, mm. and I guess more in the states. But but for here, you know, you can't get certain insurance, life insurance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, will yes. cost more money if you are a heavier weight. So I always say to that's people, that's another reason not to wait, let people weigh you because then they don't know. And here, um, often they'll say, you know, you are not entitled to this or that if you're over a certain weight. Well, if they can't weigh you, technically, technically, they cannot exclude you, right? I and- didn't know that. I would assume what? they could exclude you. How? 
I don't How? know, just yeah. be mad say. at you for breaking the rules. It's this like good kid mentality. Like you have to That's follow correct. the teacher's orders. And of course they can, and they will, don't, don't get me wrong. They will try to exclude you, but you have a means of pushing back. You have a, a way of saying, actually, this is, this goes against my human rights. This yeah. goes against my duty, your duty of care. I refuse my consent for you to weigh me. And I refuse for you to deny me surgery because of my yeah. weight. Um, and so we have, and look, it, this has not been easy. I've had some success with clients. I have had that much success, but I, I help write these complaint letters. I help write these appeals. I help write these, you know, if someone says to you, you can't have the surgery, I will sit down with you and I will help you write oh that gosh. appeal. Whether or not we'll be successful the first time, probably not, but we can keep pushing and we can keep, cause we have, yeah. we have the law behind us. We have, we have medical uh, ethics behind us. Um, there's a surgeon, I just saw an article, someone pointed it out in 2017, when we were denying certain patients surgery, basic surgeries, uh, non-urgent surgeries, based on their weight alone, the head of the Royal, the second in command of the Royal College of Surgeons, which is a big deal in the UK, wrote an article and said, that's absolutely unethical. You can't do that. That's wrong. Um, so we have people right. who aren't fat, <laughs> who are saying, big, important people saying, oh my mm, God. that's medically ethical, that's ethically unacceptable. But we're just getting away with it because no one's challenging us. That's all yeah, it is. Because there's, no there's no accountability. The more we challenge, you know, and, and so, gosh, again, I would very much like to be able to put myself out of business because why would anybody need to challenge a rule that shouldn't exist in the first yeah. place? Then I look around and I go, well, you know, in half of the US now, you can't get an abortion. So, <laughs> you know, there are certain things that yeah. it should come as standard and just don't in the world anymore. So we have to fight. And that's what I'm here for, to help you fight, because I get how hard it is to fight on your own. Ash, I had like 30 questions written down. I didn't even get to. This was <laughs> such an interesting conversation. I could talk to you for hours. Holy crap. Thank you so much for being here. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to say first before we start wrapping it up? No. Well, here's a question. How long until this comes out? I don't know yet. But will I'm it not be an organized person That's it, within the next couple of weeks? Probably. Okay. So, um, I'm assuming you won't have had time until next Friday. Please don't put this out before next Friday because I'm going to okay, announce I will not. <laughs> a big announcement. And you can you can you can say it's going to get announced here first if you like. Okay. Or, you know, like I, I announced it here first. I'm writing a book. Uh it's called Weight Loss Injections. Uh oh my God, what did I title it? <laughs> I should really know. <laughs> Weight Loss Injections, uh, Game Changer or Long Con. That's the name of the book. Yes. <laughs> uh it's the first book of many. I plan to bring out as many as I can. I've I've wanted to write the book for a really long time and then I realized that the book is going to take me six months to write and so but but at the same time I wanted people were asking me like you know where can I find this written down like you know yeah. I hear what you're saying but where is it uh and I'm like oh my podcast or here or there but actually uh people like a book so people still yeah. love a book they like to be able to read and sort of like into your books I love this so I'm bringing out my first one. It's on weight loss injections, just because that's what's been in the news at the moment. And I'm just, I will have just run my masterclass. That's, I'm announcing it at my masterclass, which is this Friday. And it will have gone by the time you publish this. But I'm doing a masterclass on weight loss injections. I'm going to talk to people about this book because I just want people to be able to have a book that really you can read in like less than half a day. It's yeah. going to be, it's and it's it's me talking like me. It's not a sciencey book. Lots of science in it, but you will basically hear my voice and my 
sweariness and my, you know, big, big mouth. Love it. Um, but it's all about weight loss drugs and not just the drugs themselves, but also the history of how they came into being and the eth- the very much unethical practices of doctors and um and 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 pharmaceutical companies, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So if you like a book, uh come and, and find it. It'll be probably in my website. I might be able to publish it on Amazon. I don't know yet. We'll see. But nice. it will definitely be available on my website. Um and yeah, there'll be many more. So I'm gonna be doing lots of masterclasses coming up. I've got a diabetes one planned. Oh. I've got uh, uh I don't know how I'm gonna wear this exactly because uh it's like gynecology I don't it's not women's health because that's what we call it but it's Uh, not women's health it's it's but it's going to cover things like endometriosis and um I'm going to do one on polycystic ovarian syndrome somebody wanted me to do one on menopause I'm going to do one on joint pain but I'm going to keep coming back to you know how doctors are didn't either prescribing or denying their patients certain things uh Premenstrual dysphoria disorder. I would read a book on that too. And all of the ways in which the people with the the treatment power basically make you feel like an insane person. Yes. Oh, and by the way, the the intersection between uh, ableism and fat and weight stigma and uh, misogyny and um, my goodness, it's it's really interesting. I was talking to someone. I know you want to wrap up, but uh, one one of my clients is in Canada and we were chatting about um, chronic pain. Uh, and and I I had mistakenly got into arguments on Twitter with people about MAID, which is uh, medically assisted dying, right, um, in Canada, uh, thinking that you know in the UK this is a something that we're fighting for and we can't get. And there are a lot of disabled people who are saying I have the right to die the way that I want to die. Stop taking my right away from me. But in Canada, wow. you can. Um, huh. And I thought this was a good thing. But then I learned, and I, I was so horrified by this, that people with chronic pain cannot access the drugs that they need. So in the UK, if someone has chronic pain, like, you know, and it's chronic, this is not just acute pain, this yeah. is chronic pain. You know, we do all sorts of things, lifestyle treatments, blah, blah, blah. But we also start off with basic things like Tylenol and anti-inflammatories. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get to a point where we're like, okay, we're going to have to use opioids because that's what they're there for. Right. And we do. And we give them at the lowest dose possible and we try not to get people addicted. But if you're in chronic pain and it doesn't go away, you need pain relief. Mm. So that's what we give you. And we will do it in an ethical and safe way. And we make sure that people don't, um, you know, abuse drugs. We don't particularly, ha- we've not had an opioid crisis in the UK. That's because we've never had one. And we don't, this doesn't exist. That's so yeah. weird. No, I we didn't know have- that. No. And you want to know why we don't have an opioid crisis in the UK? I don't because, know because everyone is better than the United States right now at everything. No, no nothing to do with that. The US, <laughs> the U.S. is a great country, uh, but but one of the problems with the U.S. is the free market when it comes to pharmaceutical industries. We don't have an oxy. We don't have an opioid problem here because we never had an oxy problem here, and we didn't have an oxy problem here because they never got oxy licensed. You have an opioid problem because of oxycontin. Oh. You didn't have an opioid problem until oxycontin. Uh-huh. We don't have OxyContin. I've only ever been able to prescribe OxyContin for people who are dying. So because there's no Oxy, we haven't had a major problem with with fentanyl or any of the other drugs of abuse. And as a result, we don't deny our patients the right to pain relief. Right. But I was saying, I was saying to, to my patient, like, well, how, what do you do when you go to a doctor and you say, I'm in pain and they go, I, I can't give you 
because I would just give cocodamol. And, you know, when we were talking about drugs, I thought she was talking like fentanyl. And she was like, no, no, yeah. no, just cocodamol. I give these out literally in doses of 100. <laughs> I can't, I cannot give them in a smaller boxes. It yeah. comes in 100 at a time. So I don't give them out willy nilly, don't get me wrong, but we're talking about chronic pain here. So of course I prescribe pain relief for chronic pain in the most uh, in the most ethical and safe way possible with lots of things in place to prevent addiction, but also accepting that if opioids are the only thing that we can give you for your pain, then we're gonna have to give them to you. So what really horrified me was how people are made to feel like, A, it's all in the head, B, mm. they're just uh, they're being big babies about it, Mm-hmm. see there's just nothing we can do which is not true there's plenty of things you yeah. can do but the, the law makes it so you can't and also the whole like kind of like oh you're a woman you know you're a woman and so yeah. it's you know that kind of like women tend to be hypochondriacs and and hysterical because we know that hysterical comes from hysteria yeah. which comes from the womb so it's amazing how much of this shit still exists in in medicine and so what we have is this intersection of of ableism uh because people don't believe at people who are in chronic pain or have or, or, or have like chronic fatigue or any of these other symptoms that are not physically visible on the human yeah. body uh they don't you know they they tend to be worse towards women uh or um uh, sort of um minority genders uh they tend to be worse um to fat towards fat people so this is like massive intersection yeah of, of all this stuff so it doesn't surprise me when you say oh you know they just like they just blame you and they you know they say it's all in your head and also this happens all the time again another reason not to trust doctors right like they're literally yeah. gaslighting you mm-hmm. you're going you're going it really hurts and they're going no it really doesn't and that's yeah. gaslighting <laughs> and then, I, then had, like, I had a doctor like just basically suggest um exercise essentially for uh like a list of symptoms a mile long uh and also like one of them was the inability to get out of bed so the thought of like getting up and exercising was just a charming suggestion um and yeah it it absolutely did make me feel like if men experienced this shit yeah like oh my god it would be so different so yeah i can see that yeah, the misogyny, uh, the, the you know, the the transphobia, the homophobia, the race, of course, the racism. I mean, Worse. let's not forget that. So, uh, yeah, like I said, doctors aren't great. <laughs> if you take if you take nothing else away from this, I might take make that the, the name message. of the episode. Doctors yeah. aren't great with Doctor <laughs> Ashter Larmy. I like that actually. Let's do that. <laughs> um, okay, so where can people find you? You've got this book coming out. What's your website? What's your Instagram, wherever you can send people. So you'll find me at fatdoctor.co.uk. That's the best place to find me. Go to my website first. Everything that I'm doing is on there. And you can also find all my socials on there. So just www.fatdoctor.co.uk. And the only other thing is they have the hashtag no way campaign. So far, it's been less of a campaign and more of a website. That's just because I have no idea how to make a campaign. But I think that we're going to do something about that. And I think people like you just are already doing it, which is basically saying, to people stop letting them weigh you it's the most simple and effective way to take some of that power back just go nah thank you I also I don't know how you feel about this because I'm very um I I get a little Robin Hoodie with my ethics sometimes but Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) I feel that it is totally okay to lie in order to do self-advocacy work and so I have asked clients to straight up lie when they felt it, they felt like it was impossible to challenge. Oh, I don't want to be weighed. I'd rather not be weighed. It felt too soft and they were afraid of getting pushback. They didn't feel like they could handle it. 
So I've just suggested straight up start with, I have an eating disorder and I can't be weighed. Right. And whether or not that's true, it makes it final enough. Like the word, I don't consent. It makes it sound official enough that you're going to get less pushback, which means you might actually be able to get what you need. I have zero issues with the ethics or morality of that. You carry on. That seems very reasonable. (laughs) Very, very reasonable. I have, I have lied way more than, more than that in my own. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) I I do it with a lot of the self-advocacy work just in general too, because like people are not necessarily going to sit there and listen to you explain to them how actually everything they thought about weight and health and fatness is all wrong and blah, blah, blah. Instead you can just be like, oh, well, I have an eating disorder. So that comment is actually really dangerous for me. And that hands all the discomfort of the weird comment right back to the person who said it yeah that's great and a a lot of these skills like I said they're skills we have to learn and so if you are someone who's thinking to themselves I could really do with going on that course uh again find me on my website and find them yes find me on my website I will help you I will teach you how to do that stuff so that you know that you walk into your next consultation with a doctor or any other healthcare professional and you have the language and I always say to people write it down like literally Mm -hmm. take a printout because people people often have their notes with them or have like a printout that's quite normal for us we're very used to that with people coming in with notes but bring a script and literally with like if they say this this is what I say back and uh, I also teach people how to um present their complaint their symptoms to present it in a way that will get the the best response Mm -hmm. from the doctor again what a load of crap like my job is literally I got taught educated I spent years learning how to extract that information in a consultation how to efficiently and effectively withdraw out all the important stuff without painting the narrative by asking too many closed questions I I, I had to pass exams and people watched me in fact I spent (laughs) like thousands on these exams that I went Mm -hmm. and people watched me protect with these actors that would come in and they'd be a patient and I had to have you know, listen to them and talk to them. Uh, that's my job. And unfortunately, doctors just seem to have like passed these exams and forgotten all about it. So now um, I'm teaching people how to literally, I've reversed it. I said, I've essentially reversed it and now teaching people how to do what, what their doctors that. are failing to do. So this is a course that I'm, I'm offering for everybody. It doesn't matter where you are. I, I'll do different times for different groups of people because yeah. I know that I've got probably about as many people from Europe as I do from mm-hmm. the US and North America. Um, so yeah, I Come love the way it's like restoring the power to the people and it just is so good. I want to like collaborate with you on everything forever. I'm so excited about your work. I suggest that anybody who has ever struggled with advocacy in the medical space, go take your course courses, whatever they are. Um, because this feels so, so empowering and so important for liberation on every front. This whole episode has been. So thank you so much for being here and just for the incredible work that you do. Um, everybody who is listening, you know where to find me, jessineeland.com and at jessineeland for, you know, everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, that is it. And thank you for listening. And I will catch you next week. 